Turn with me, please, to John chapter 10. You can see the prevenient grace of God in a nutshell in something Jesus says about the good shepherd. It's in verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, I'm not a cowboy. If I ask some of you who herd cattle, I think I know the answer to this question. I'm a city boy, and what I know is from other people. But I would imagine, how many herd you have? How many head do you have in your head? You're not sure? No. I'm not sure. I know the Lord knows. Let's just say you have uh, how old are you? Fifty-eight. Okay. Sixty. Do I hear seventy? No. Alright. Let's say you got sixty-eight head of cattle. Okay, so Brother Dan decides I'm going to take my cattle to another area. And so he says, come on, cattle! And he starts walking. How many are going to follow you? You mean they don't just hear your voice and say, they don't do that, do they? You got to hurt them, don't you? You gotta push them. Now, some of you had sheep, different type of animal. You know, round up them donkeys when they're talking about the sheep. You lead the sheep, and that's what the shepherd does. But there's a lot of homework that he does before. And that's what we mean when we talk about the prevenient grace of God. God goes before. Just like that preacher that said, I'm not afraid of the year 2000 because I serve the God who's already been there. He's talking about the prevenient grace of God. Are you scared about the future? Well, if God knows all things, and He does, and He has all power, and He does, and He has all resources, and He does, what's to be scared of? When it says He goeth before, yes, that means that He leads the sheep, and they follow Him, but there's something else. When we talk about prevenient it means that he prevents them. Now, when I was a little kid, and I heard prevent, you know who I thought about? This kind of dates me. Smokey Bear. You remember Smokey Bear, Jokey's cousin? He's the one that said, <clears throat> only you can prevent forced fires. In other words, you are responsible to keep those fires from burning. 
Just yesterday I heard that in my home state of California, some of the oldest redwoods in Yosemite, you might have heard of it called, but it's actually Yosemite National Park, are in danger of burning to a crib. You see, out yonder, there are things going on. And when the folks trailed west, they would have a wagon train, but there'd be a scout to go out in front to see where the water was, see where the grass was green, to see where they would be able to make it out, to make a way. He would go before, and the shepherd knew what he was going to do. He didn't say, well, I got a bunch of sheep to do, and I don't know where we'll take them around. No. He knew. He had a program. He might not have written down, but he had it in his head. I know where to go. Want to go around this bend? When we get over this ridge, there's green grass. There's cool, clean water. And I don't know if the sheep worry. If they do, I think you'll do. I don't know. I don't know where they, they don't have to know where they're going to go. They follow the shepherd because the shepherd knew exactly. He would go to the places, and if there were branches and things that had fallen in the, in the pond, he'd fish them out. He would do everything he could to smooth the way to prepare the way. Now, that's what the word prevent meant when our Bibles were translated. Now, it connotes something that we keep from happening and like smoking the bear. Only you can prevent forest fire. But the word prevent, sometimes when you're reading in the King James, it can be a little confusing and David uses this a lot, at least our translation does. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15, this word is used that might confuse people. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 We which rely and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which sleep are asleep. What does that mean? We read that word prevent like, no, 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 you, no, no, it doesn't mean we're going to keep that from happening. It means it's not going to happen with us first. The ones who have died, the ones who are already with the Lord, it's not going to be a surprise to them that Christ is coming back. When we hear the shout, when it's that time, <laughs> And we go. It's not like our beloved in heaven are going to say, wonder what's happening. No. They're going to know. So prevent back then meant to happen before time. And our Lord works by prevenient grace. A grace which goes before. He prepares by he prepares circumstances. He prepares hearts. The scriptures tell us the preparation of the heart belongs to the Lord. 
We think we make these decisions. We think we got it all figured out. We make these projections, these plans, these proposals, and sometimes it happens that way, and sometimes kind of, sort of, and sometimes nothing like it. I think I told you before, my ambition when I was 14 years old, I was going to be a busboy in a Mexican restaurant, yeah. Ace Group. Didn't live up to my potential, did I? It's just the way it goes. Sometimes we have dreams and schemes and God has other plans. What has God prepared? That's a good question. I sure can't answer all of that in one message. But I know not only He's prepared the hearts of men, but He's involved in our steps. Probably the oldest book in your Bible is the book of Job. And in Job 23, smack dab in the middle of that book, in verse 10, Job makes a comment that I hope you can take as a light verse. He knoweth the way that I take. You might get lost if you don't know where you're going. Somebody else might not have a clue where you are. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God's got a purpose for His precious people. And I guarantee it's not just goof off. No. It used to be people talked about their calling, their vocation. It's more than just something to occupy your time. It's something to be involved in sense of something which we feel that we are called to do this. The 37th Psalm says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he stumble, he shall not be utterly cast down. And the 127th Psalm tells us, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You want to build something? You buy the materials? You get the plan? You get your tools. You're, all, you're just good to go. And does that mean it's going to happen? I don't know. You don't either. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain the builder. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. We plan. We strategize. We get together. And we get all hyped up about something. And what happens? Somebody says life is what happens to us while we're making plans. There's some wisdom in that. It's been wisely said, man proposes, but God disposes. Our great God is ahead of us. And He goes ahead, just like our text says, preparing the way. Jesus said in the 14th of John, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Earlier this year, was it this year? You went to that funeral? Last went to a funeral for a man who was an engineer. And the 
preacher said, I'm sure he's up there telling the angels how to build those mansions. What? Like, God is going to need help from some of us. No. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. The Lord is in the business of having things ready, a turnkey operation, if you will. <clears throat> Abraham and so many of the faithful, it tells us in Hebrews eleven sixteen, they looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Let's go back to Genesis for a moment. I want to let you know that Abraham knew all about this great God who prepares the way, who prepares circumstances, who prepares hearts. Now sometimes we think we're ready and God says, not yet. Not yet. I'm not saying no, just not yet. <clears throat> Abraham had a son named Isaac. And he wanted Isaac to have a bride. Well, they left the east and come west. <coughs> and to get a bride for Isaac, he didn't say, kid, just check out what's out there and get you the best you can. No. He sent his servant to find a bride for Isaac. And Abraham says something in verse 7 to that servant about this task. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake of me and that spurred me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. That's the same God, he says. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. That was Abraham's conviction. God has got this whole thing covered. He's gone ahead. He's the scout, if you will. He has found out the solution for this challenge. Now that servant shared in that because of that same chapter, drop down to verse 40. <clears throat> He's talking to Laban and family because he finds this damsel. Her name was Rebecca. And when he finds this family, he says, let me tell you my story. Verse 40, talking about Abraham, he said, you know, my boss told me what the deal did. He said unto me, the Lord before whom I walk. So he knew where he was. He was where God wanted him to be. <coughs> Will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way. And thou shalt take a wife from my son of my kindred and of my father's house. He knew that Abraham knew this great God. Let's go now after Genesis. We come to Exodus. Go to chapter 4. By the time we get to the fourth of Exodus, Moses has been born. Moses has reared his first 40 years. In the court of Pharaoh. I don't think it's a stretch to say he was being groomed to be the future Pharaoh. 
And in 40, he said, you know, the Hebrews are really getting hard. And uh, <coughs> it's been revealed to him that they were his people. And so he gets the idea, I bet God's going to use me to do something about this. And so he sees an Egyptian messing with the Hebrew, and he's thinking, this looks like a job for Mr. Moses. And he kills that Egyptian. <laughs> That's one step. It's going to happen. I can feel it in my bones. And you know what? Right man, wrong time. God works that way sometimes. Right man, wrong time. And so, he goes to the backside of the desert. Spends 40 more years in the backside of the desert. He sees this burning bush. And God speaks to him from the burning bush. And he says, it's time. You're going to go back. And now you're going to do what was in your mind to do back then. Right man, wrong time then. But you had 40 years. By the way, you know what he learned those 40 years? He learned how to lead sheep. Sheep aren't so smart. They're not so brave. They're not so strong. They're not so scary. If you haven't seen it, Marcia saw where somebody sent couple of things about sheep. If you think they're brilliant, you've got another thing coming. They're not so smart. They they have a, a way of getting themselves in all kinds of messes. Look at me as I say in chapter 4. Moses, when God says, you're the man, you're going to do the job. Suddenly Moses, well, 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 well wait a minute here. And he said, now Lord, I I'm not eloquent, which is really strange because Stephen says in Acts 7 that Moses was a man mighty in words and deeds. That's talking about before he left Egypt. So he knew how to forevermore give a speech. He could talk to people. He wasn't afraid of their faces. And yet, now when he's before God, I'm not eloquent. I'm I'm slow speech of a slow tongue. And read with me, please. Verses 12 through 14. This is God talking to Moses after he's raised his objection. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Get any of a book here. Memorize this. It's going to help. No. God says, when you're in the right type, I will tell you what to say. And he said, Oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. He was kind of hoping God would arrange something else. Well, God had that covered too. Moses had an older brother. His name was Aaron. Evidently three years older than him. And God's not fooling around here. When he talks with Moses, he knows about Aaron and everybody else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, It's not Aaron the Levite, thy brother. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. You'd open your eyes, Moses. He's, he's on his way. And not just because he just, oh, I'm going to go look for Moses. He's been missing for 40 years. No. God brought 
Aaron out and showed Moses and they made the connection wow God really is God you know when the light bulb comes on and you realize God really is God it'll change you it'll touch you it'll motivate you if you hear the preacher say God is God yeah yeah okay you say that all along yeah. no sometimes people hear it and hear it and hear it until they hear it. And that makes all the difference in the world. And behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. You shouldn't surprise us that God knows the future. Not just about some things, but about all things. Go to chapter 23. Because that's not the only thing that God did to prepare Mr. Moses. <clears throat> you see, they're going to come to this land and God's going to give it to them. Well, they're former slaves and they're just going to move in. God says, I know what you can handle, folks. I don't want to choke you. So he's going to do it according to his plan. Look at verse 20. Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Drop down to verse 30. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased. You can't handle it just now. So I'm going to give you a little baby bites, okay? And inherit the land. That's how God works. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Turn ahead a little bit to the right, chapter 32. Look at me, please. Verse 34. God knows what you can handle. <clears throat> Therefore, now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken to thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. There's prevenience, folks. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And after Exodus, we have Leviticus, and then we have the book of Numbers. Look at Numbers chapter 20, verse number 16. And when we cried unto the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel, and had brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, they are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Our great God made sure that Moses understood that he was going before. I want you to God knows all of our circumstances, and he prepares us accordingly. I can't think of a better example from the Old Testament of that than that of Joseph. In chapter 45, when he's reunited with those brothers, ten of whom had sold him out, sold him in a slavery. <clears throat> and when he says, I am Joseph, the one you betrayed and sold into slavery. And they said, well, what, what's the story here? Read with me starting in verse 4 of Genesis 45. And Joseph said to his brother, come near to me, I pray you. And they came there and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, 
whom you sold in Egypt. How could somebody be a phony about that? He knew. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourself that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve your life. Those scoundrels were only thinking of themselves and their immediate desire to get that pesky little brother out from under them. And God used their evil to work good to them. That's the way God operates. I hope you know that. For these two years hath the famine been the land. And yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity there and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So bottom line, here's verse 8. So now it was not you that sent me hither. You know, you thought, <laughs> we got rid of him. It wasn't really you. It was really the Lord. Wow. You mean God was behind that? Oh, yeah. Well, I thought I was just those hungry, depraved rascals. Well, it was as far as they were concerned. But God overrides the evil of man to glorify himself and to bless his people. And he hath made me a father of Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. That's our great God. And I'll bet a lot of you have already been thinking, I'll bet he's going to go over to chapter 50. Well, you're right. In chapter 50, what's he say in verse 20? As for you, you thought evil against me. I guarantee you, Simeon and Levi and Judah and the others. Now Reuben was off on a walkabout. And so the other nine, they didn't say, you know, I'll bet if we send him into slavery, someday he'll be the sister to the Pharaoh and, and we can use a guy like that. No! Furthest thing from their mind. He is a pain in the neck. We want to get rid of him. Right now, permanent. Why not make some money on the deal after all? So it's some of the slavery. Far as they're concerned, we'll never see him again. Good riddance to bad rubbish. <laughs> oh, they were so smart. They had it all figured out. God's got it all figured out, folks. And now, I don't know when God revealed this to Joseph, but he sure enough did because. As he says, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God made it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Can you rejoice in that? The God who goes before. Many a time a preacher will have somebody come to him and say, you know, preacher, I've made some mistakes. Show me the man who hasn't. Show me the woman Show me the boy or girl with some discernment who knows they've made some mistakes. God is the one who could draw a straight line with a crooked stick. I heard a preacher say that when we were down street for it. I thought, what's that supposed to be? Well, I have to think and I realize, you know what? I'm the crooked stick. I'm not much. But there's another great old song from the past keeps coming up in my mind little as much what God is in us. God can do great things with ordinary people. You don't have to be a super this or a super that. The greatest ability is availability. 
be the one who says, Lord, here am I. Send me. Where will he send you? Where he's pleased to send you. And I hope you can appreciate that. Stop off for a moment in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. A little bit closer to the middle of your Bible. 2 Chronicles 29. And we're pretty close to the end of the book here. 29 and verse 36. <coughs> the last verse. Hezekiah. He was a real guy. And sometimes God says things you really think it's going to happen. Oh, come on. Come on. But he did. And it's memorable. Read this last verse with me. 2 Chronicles 29, 26. And Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people. Everything up to this point, God has prepared you. He has done some great things. Back in 1 Samuel, we read of a people who had some stones stacked up. You know what they call that stack of stones? Start with an E. Think of the cheapskate in the Christmas carol. Ebenezer. You know what Ebenezer means? Stone of help. Samuel said, when you have this pile of stones, there's a reason God wants you to do that. Because hitherto hath the Lord helped us. You might not have had a clue what God was going to do. But He did it. For a great reason. You might be in a season of doubt. You might be racked with, oh, what if this? What if that? Oh, you know, sometimes people what if themselves and think that maybe, maybe God ain't really God. But He is God. Don't ever doubt that. God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. You know, not everybody just throw it together in the blink of an eye. And then go with me, please, to Romans chapter 9. Because God has a people. They're called a sheep. They're called the elect. Those are dirty words of some people, I know. But they're in the Word of God. <clears throat> Look at verse 23 of Romans 9. God is preparing a people. He's been preparing me all my life. He's been preparing you if you're His child as well. I don't know what the future holds for you. I don't know what the future holds for me. I don't know what we're going to have for dinner tomorrow. Marcia thinks she does. And maybe, maybe that's the way it's going to work out. But God has this master plan. And part of that master plan is to honor Himself and to be a blessing to us, His people. Verse 23 of Romans 9, And that He might make known... See, God is rich. Richer beyond compare. But we don't have a clue just how rich He is. The book of Ephesians says... He's able to do more than we can ask or think. Mmm. That's pretty good. Nobody has been able to paint a picture of the beauty of heaven 
like it really is because it's not by what we've seen or heard but the Lord reveals those things by His Spirit. And that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy. That's us. Which He hath which he had afore prepared unto glory. As Lenny Davis would say, I discovered America back in 1953. And I didn't even know what my name was. I had to have mom and dad tell me what my name was. I learned my address. I remember in first grade, Mrs. Shrimp taught us this. This is how you spell your name. And I'd never seen my last name in print before. I look up this stranger. She knows how my name because she's grown up. She already talked to my mom and dad. And so we come to learn things. We kind of to find out that there's an awful lot that has gone into making up us. The influences in our lives. The ideas that capture your mind. The diversions that can get you off track. All of those things. Everything in the mix. You are becoming what God is pleased for you to be. If the Lord gives you 10 more years, I hope and pray that you can look back and say, the Lord taught me a lot up to that point, and He taught me even more in the last 10 years. As I said, there's no natural way you can appreciate what God has prepared for His people. It says that they are spiritually discerned. Well, we come down to the end of the message. Let's go to the end of our Bible good place to end the message, you know. Revelation 21. And I hope this doesn't get read to you only at funerals. <clears throat> Verses 2 through 4. And I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And Marcia said, yes, I'll marry you. I thought, great, you just want to, well, we've got to make a dress, we've got to place, and do this, and do that. Well, that goes into a marriage. Us guys might not know, but I think we just understand the tip of the iceberg. A lot of times a woman says, look, you just show up at this place and try to have you wash behind your ears, try to look respectable. And, well, what about, we'll take care of that. Something has been prepared. You know, to show up one day. Wow, this just kind of happened, huh? A lot of preparation. It's going to be an adorned thing. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Somebody said, I sure wish I could be in the presence of God. What do you think happened when you came to church today? Yeah. You ever think about that? Somebody said, we don't have many over on this side. Well, I can't see the angels. But I'm convinced God has His heavenly hosts everywhere. And we come. What is that 122? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The Lord taught us long ago. We don't say, i got to go to church. I get to go to church. Amen. Some people, i got to go to work. Well, maybe someday you'll live to retirement. Or maybe something else will happen. I don't know. But 
You have opportunity to serve the Lord. Now, in a time when there won't be any jobs to go to, there won't be any doctor's appointments to have, won't need to do this, that, and the other, but we'll be in the presence of the Lord, rejoicing in Him. And I heard a great voice out of heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them, and be their God. And you know what else He's going to do? No more tears. God shall wipe away all tears. Unless you're a monster, things have happened in your life to move you to tears. I have a confession to make. One of the toughest things for me to bite my lip when I'm officiating in a funeral. Our daughter Mary, pretty sharp. And she said, Dad, I was watching you. You had your funeral face on. Because there are times after the funeral we go out to the graveside, casket goes in the ground, and we leave. And sometimes there are people crying their eyes out from the moment the deceased has passed from this world. It hurts. They ache. The Bible says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But if it falls to me to officiate in a funeral, I don't have that luxury right then, right there. But I want you to know, after the funeral, I'm going to have a good cry. Because it gets to me. Yes, I'm human. But there's a time coming. God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there should be no more death. No funerals in heaven. No sick visits in heaven. Hmm. No needles in heaven. That's good news, isn't it? Neither sorrow nor crying Neither shall there be any more pain or the former things are passed away. If we're in heaven and somebody says, I don't have any aches or pains, I have an say, what are those? Because they'll be unknown to us then. Passed away. If we have the knowledge of what we went through in this world, I'm sure there'll be something, well, that was then. But just like the book says, this is now. Just think, from where we are right now, God has been with us preparing so that our future, it's a done deal with God. Now, there's another side to this. My Lord willing, I want to preach it next week. Not only is the Lord with us right now, He's also preparing for us you know, he's got our back too. Did you know that? I want to talk about that next week. There's just too much to squeeze in at one time. But uh, bring the Bible, 
bring your mind, be moved to the Spirit, be ready. The Lord willing, we'll talk about the other shoe. But for now, let's have a song.